books of the Bible in that what we actually are looking at is a sermon. Um, it was a sermon that was written. The, the most likely intended audience were, were just Jewish people um, who were trying to figure out uh, how all this Jesus fit with the whole Jewish system and all of that. How does this go together? Um, and so it, that's what we're, what we're looking at in Hebrews. And, and we saw in the first chapter how the, the author just really goes into this is who Jesus is and how great Jesus is. And we spent a whole week last week uh, talking about angels and all these wonderful things about angels and misconceptions about angels. And then what we saw the ultimate point is the fact that Jesus is better. Jesus is even better than the angels. Um, and it closed up last week with the fact that Jesus is seated, is seated on the throne, that he's at the right hand of the Father, that he's in a place of authority of greatness, and that's who Jesus is. And as with any good sermon, after giving us that great content, the author now comes to a point of making application. And so this week's passage, he's going to do this throughout Hebrews, uh, this week's passage is one of those where he steps back and he says, but what are you going to do with that? So here's this great truth, now what are you going to do with that? And that's what we get to look at today and see what is it that we're going to do with this. I will also warn you that uh, today's passage kind of introduces us to um, a, a big theological argument that Hebrews is right in the middle of, um, and so we'll start to look at that today. It'll come up more in other verses, but as we read through it, uh, see if you might be able to pick out what it would be that Christians would have different some opinion on with this passage. So the Hebrews chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Therefore, we must pay, pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. And so, what what is the the author telling us here? First thing he's saying, therefore, and then he goes on later and he says, "What we have heard, what is that? What's that about? That's about what we just we covered last week." about the truth of who Jesus is. What we've heard about Jesus, therefore, based on what we've heard about Jesus, we need to pay much closer attention to Jesus. It's not something where we just say, oh, yeah, I heard about the Jesus thing, and maybe, maybe, yeah, I I probably even agree with that stuff, mostly, or whatever, and that's good, but he's saying, no, we need to pay much closer attention. We need to really hone in We need to focus here. We need to pay much closer attention to Jesus. Now, as I mentioned, uh, this passage enters into a big theological debate among Christians. I will say people on both sides of this debate are uh, known to be uh, genuine and following in Christ, who love the Bible and uh, and love Jesus. And so so I think there's room uh, for us to have differences of opinion on this, um, 
But in this passage, a big part of this debate all revolves around the word we. Who is the we in this passage? Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Because the whole drifting away from it thing is something that doesn't sound like very good. Person in the boat, they're in 
frustrated with him. And it's like, Jesus is over there on the bank, and Jesus is there, and he's saying, hey, come to me, come to me, here I am, I have salvation, I have the truth, I have the way, I am the light, come to me, come to me. And the person in the boat's like, yeah, that's cool. They just stay adrift, down the stream. Because that's the picture we're painting throughout Scripture, is that all of us are born into this thing, where we are in a boat, where we are continuing in one direction. And you know what it takes to continue in that direction? Absolutely humility. It just comes naturally. We just continue in the same direction. That's the way the water's flowing. That's the way the current's going. We're in the boat. We just got to stay in the stream, and it really takes no effort to change, no effort to do anything, because we just continue going down the stream. Verse 2, where he talks about the fact that there's retribution by God at the end of that stream. And that's not a beautiful thing. That's not something we want to experience. But yet Jesus is there on the shore and he's saying, Here I am. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the way out. I have paid the retribution for you. I have paid the price before God. You can be forgiven through me. Come to me. Come to me. I'm right here. And so many of us. would agree with everything about the Bible and what it says about Jesus and all that, but I've never made it real in my life. I've never called out to Him as my Lord and Savior. I've never done anything with what I've heard. And that's you and that boat in your drift. But what Jesus says is He's calling you. He's calling you to come to Him, to surrender, to lay your life down, lay your will down, and let Him be Lord. adrift in the sea and whatever's going on, but you are his. You're locked on to the rock and the anchor of life. He can hold you steady. He directs your path. He leads and guides you. So, we need to pay much closer attention to this Jesus. But is the author warning us here that those of us who have to Jesus, those of us who have placed our faith in Him, those of us who have made Him Lord of our life, can indeed drift away from that. Is that what the author is saying here? My opinion is that that is not what he's saying. Looking at the full picture of Scripture, um, what I see throughout is that a genuine follower of Christ, someone who has genuinely been followed by the blood of Jesus, Jesus paid for their price on the cross, and uh, they have, in their life, they have come to the point of realizing what 
say, yes, you are Lord and Savior and King. You are mine. That person is secure in Jesus. Not in themselves, but in Jesus. And because Jesus is all-powerful, I do not believe there's anything that can rip that person away from Jesus or drift that person away from Jesus or anything like that. That is my opinion. I have dear people that I love who disagree with me on this. And I respect their opinion. But, uh, and as I said, this is going to come up more later in Hebrews, so I'm not going to go into great detail on it today. But one passage does come to mind that I just want us to look at to see where I'm coming from on this. And in John chapter 10, Jesus is speaking. And this is kind of a lengthy passage, but it's really good and really important for our conversation. So just bear with me as we go through this. In John chapter 10, Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. And for this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. And this charge I have received from my Father. And Jesus is saying, hey, those who are going to be mine, those who are going to follow my followers, they're my sheep. They hear my voice. They know my voice. They belong to me. In fact, he even equates how closely we are connected with him to how closely he is connected with the Father. It's not just something where maybe this is a casual relationship where we kind of might just drift away and then it's no more or whatever. But if you are genuinely saved, if you're genuinely a follower of Christ, you are secure in that. He goes on after some questioning and debating with those around him. Uh, down in verse 25, Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. This, the works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So Jesus is saying, based on who I am, based on who God the Father is, if you genuinely have saving faith in me, if you have heard my voice and you have answered my call, and you are one of my sheep, you are secure. And you are protected in that. No one can snatch you out of my hand. Because 
there anybody stronger than him? No. To which some say, yeah, you can't be snatched out, but baby, you can run and jump out. To which I say, his hand's pretty strong. Even yourself, you cannot snatch yourself out of his hand. Is what I believe to be true in Scripture. And so...
the things we do that are against God, the things we do that are contrary to His Word, when we don't live in line with Him, when we're not following His voice, there will be retribution for that, and it will be just. That doesn't sound good. That doesn't sound like what we picture. You know, when we make God in our image, um, He's a lot nicer than
this um, in the previous week, uh, where C.S. Lewis was maxing uh, Jesus was either a liar, a lunatic, or a beautiful virgin. So like in the passage I just read from John, uh, he said, I and the Father am one. Um, and so either when he said that, it was true, and that, therefore he is Lord, or it was false. If it was false, then he is a liar, and he knew it, or he was a lunatic, and didn't know it, but thought it to be true. So you're left with the options of Jesus, what well, couldn't just have been a good man, but he wasn't really anything that special, he was just a good person, or he was a good teacher. Well, no, those options are off the table. Either Jesus was a liar, or he was a lunatic, or he was Lord. And I am of the opinion in the persuasion that he is definitely Lord. So Jesus himself uh, said that he is the good option. But number two, the eyewitnesses. Number two, eyewitnesses. Eyewitnesses that, that, that verify the fact that he rose from the dead. The empty tomb is the, is the deal breaker. That's the game changer. That's where everything revolves around. Plenty of guys died on crosses. Right? I mean, the Romans, they had this down to a science, just killing people on crosses. They knew what they were doing on this thing. But only one rose from the dead. Only one that was sacrificed rose from the dead, and that is Jesus. And the fact is that we have a plethora of eyewitnesses who affirm this, and the author of Hebrews is saying, hey, these, these eyewitnesses have passed this, passed this good news on to us. They have shared with us what they have seen. We can believe in it because we have their testimony. We have what they have said. To which the objector can say, yeah, but people lie. To which I would say, yeah, they do. People do lie. They lie a lot. But people lie typically. Typically. People lie when they have something to gain. something in it for them to lie. These people, if, if anyone, any of the eyewitnesses knew that the resurrection was not true, that it was a lie, it would have been the disciples. Okay. So let's look at their life. What, what did they get from perpetuating this thing that they're saying that Jesus rose from the dead? What did they get out of it? Persecution, they were stoned, they were Shipwrecked, they were all of these, the list goes on and on, all these bad things that happened to them, to them to the point where, with all except one, they were all ultimately killed, still saying this is true. Not one of them, as they were being threatened with their lives, said, Okay, you guys caught us, it was all a fake, um, the body's over there. No, you hit it. Just kidding. Don't kill me. No. They knew this to be true. And in fact, they counted it an honor to die for Jesus, saying, this is the truth of what he's done for us. Say all except one. That one was John. And how did it end up for him? Well, he's in exile out on some island. He got caught. And so, I say that to say, I think, this is a credible testimony that if these people are even to the point of losing their own lives, are saying this is true, this is what happened. Jesus rose from the dead. There is hope found in Jesus. He is 
the way, the truth, and the life. He is the key to it all. Listen to him. Pay attention to him. And then our third source of validation is the author of Hebrews offered us here as God himself. Verse 4. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So this is where the author of Hebrews is saying, hey, you know all this stuff says Jesus? You know, like, miracles happen everywhere. But what we see, the point is miracles is not miracles themselves. The point of the miracles is the fact that they are pointing to Jesus. They're pointing to the gospel. The gospel is being spread, and to get people's attention, God is working in miraculous ways. He's doing the miracles for the point of pointing people to Jesus. The miracles, the signs, the wonders, all of that is a very popular theme in the world today. There's a big um, interest in all of this. And I want to warn you that if any, any ministry or anything like that, if the miracles are the focus, be very, very skeptical of that ministry. Because nowhere in Scripture are the miracles the focus. The miracles are always used to point to Jesus. The miracles always point to the truth of the gospel. That's not to say I don't think God works miracles today, because I do. I fully believe that. But he works miracles today for the same reason, the same purpose, to point people to Jesus, to validate the message of this is the truth over creation. That's being talked about right here. He is Lord over it all, and he can he can cure any illness. He can heal any malady. He can move things. He can change things. He can walk on water. He can do whatever. He is all powerful over creation, and that validates his message. But if ever there there's a focus just on the things, but not on him, be very very skeptical.
is he is pointing them to Jesus, to the gospel, to the good news, to the truth that's found in him. And that is where he is going. That's the only hope. So I ask you today, do you have that hope? Do you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Or are you a drowned? goes, that's where he'll follow me. I will be with him. He is my hope. He is the way. Do you have it today? What's God in you? I would love to hear from you. Is there any time in this life where you just feel like you're falls by the wayside? Or in yours? In yours, whatever, whatever you want. In yours. have to drift through life and kind of hope it all works out in the end. But there's hope that we can be assured that hope and that hope is real. That you're good, you're perfect, you're all powerful. And I thank you that, that we can rest assured in that hope. And grace that you you bring us to salvation. Lord, I pray for anyone here today, and maybe right now Thank you.